perfect atmosphere for what the Holy Ghost has laid on my heart this morning. I will not be lengthy in word. I pray that we're lengthy in ministry. But we will not be lengthy in word. And your participation will determine the length of ministry. Again, we're congratulating this tremendous church and your awesome leaders, pastor and first lady. Love and appreciate them very much. And it's a privilege to be with you and to celebrate this time. I think uh, sometimes it's not the perfect will of God, but the acceptable will of God or the good will of God. I think, uh, not sure how long it was, but several years ago, we went down to the campgrounds, you know, that mansion down in South Georgia, and uh, we were there for some service, and as we were there, my wife and I in the service, we looked down into the altar area, they were having an ordination service, and there was a couple there that I did not recognize, I didn't know who they were. And it was your pastor and his wife. I think they were having an ordination of some sort and um, uh, with the organization of the UPCI. And so I felt in the Holy Ghost that I needed to go meet them after service and greet them. And so actually they gave opportunity to come congratulate and come hug the neck of your brother and your sister. So Lois and I went down and and hugged their neck and instantly... Uh, there was a connection in our hearts. I knew that God was connecting us in the spirit for ministry in the future. And there's some things I recognized instantly. First of all, like Jesus spoke of Nathaniel, that this is a man with no guile, a pure in heart, an individual that is honestly and openly wanting to live for God and do a work for God. And I appreciate that so very much. And as we have grown closer, I've learned how big that heart is. And it's interesting because every, every chance we get to get together, and it's not often, we, we're here once or twice a year, and then we'll meet somewhere between his house and our house, our families will, and we'll go to Longhorns and get a steak or a chicken or something, and, and we get to meet just every once in a while. But I see that that heart that I know is so big is, is growing. God's enlarging His giftings, His ministry. And I've learned that uh, Sister Candy is not only a beautiful lady, but beautiful in spirit and beautiful in ministry. She has a giftings of helps which means she excels. It's the same ministry that my wife walks in. She excels in so many areas. She does so many things very well. And any place that there's a need, she steps in to fulfill it. I've, I've got a great compassion for this type of ministry, not just because of Lois and a lot of friends that have it, but this is one of the spoken and celebrated things that the Holy Ghost does. When John's talking about the Holy Ghost, which is the paraclete, the comforter, that Greek word paraclete that describes the Holy Ghost means it's one that comes alongside you and makes up the difference. So, and it, that's the ministry of helps. It just comes along beside and makes up the difference. So I appreciate their ministries very much, and uh, it's not hard for me to say something 
kind about them. I wish I could buy a Mustang for him. Maybe one day, if the Lord blesses. And um, we want them to know how much we love and appreciate you guys. You are awesome to us, and we appreciate that. And, of course, your kids have, we've adopted them. I hope that's all right. They've got another dad over here, so. And uh, we love and appreciate them very much. And, of course, it's also great, and I'm taking a little bit of time, but I think it's important that uh, great to have my wife, the Lusha Lois, <laughs> Lusha Licious, whatever you want to call her, she just... Uh, so glad that she's here today, and I'm so proud of the ministry that she's walked in for years, and some of the doors that are opening up to her. Some people have asked me, am I afraid that they're going to invite her to come preach and not you? Well, that's been happening for a while. That's going to happen next week as well. I'll be in Indianapolis, and she'll be in Detroit preaching in different places. So thankful that I'm not able to clone myself, but we're reaching two places now, aren't we? So, so God is good. Amen. I want to direct your attention. I love you, Rack. So privileged that you have opened your hearts to us and to our family. So good to have Judah here. I'm going to read from the Gospel of Luke 24 and begin at verse 45. Those of you who are familiar with this know that this is after the crucifixion, after Jesus was buried, after his resurrection, and he has showed himself alive to his disciples with many infallible proofs. And now he's spending the last few moments with them before he will ascend up into heaven, telling them about going to Jerusalem and waiting for the power of the Holy Ghost. So... We'll pick up this place in history and the words, the powerful words that Jesus says in departing. Verse 45. He opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Do you imagine how revelatory that was? And he said unto them, thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them as far out as to Bethany. He lifted up his hands, blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And then I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew. And this is the exact same time in history. Luke's rendition we just read. But I want to read one verse in what Matthew says at this great commission, these last words of the Lord. Verse 20 of Matthew 28. The Lord says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. (laughs) I had one old timer tell me that that's why he'll never get in an airplane. Because the scripture says, lo, I'm with you always. So he don't want to get too high, you know. 
<laughs> we know that means listen up, not speaking of distance, of height and low. I've had some powerful times with God at 36,000 feet and not afraid to get an airplane to go someplace to do the gospel of Christ. I'm preaching today just for a few minutes, maybe 27 minutes and 16 seconds or so. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Would you let him love on you one more time before you see it? Yeah, love on me, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. What a friend we have in Jesus. Those that study human behavior, psychiatrists, psychologists, tell us that most individuals in an entire lifetime will have two or three really close friends. That seems to be a small number to me. That in a lifetime, you'll only have two or three those that you call really close friends. I, I just got to believe that if you're part of the church of the living God, that stat has to go way up because there's something like being in worship with people of like precious faith who love truth like you love truth, who love the Lord and love the Word like you do. It, just, it draws you together, but these are the statistics of human behavior that most only have two or three real close friends in a lifetime. I think if I was to try to define for you what a friend is, I think you boil it all down, and a friend is simply someone who's always there for you. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what circumstances is happening, no matter who has rejected you or what, there's a friend that is always going to be there for you. And maybe you live thousands of miles away, but, but just a quick text or a little FaceTime, and, and it's like they're right there in the room with you. Or, or maybe you've got friends that you don't talk to all the time, but when you do get back with them, it's like, it's like you pick up right where you left off, and that kinship is there. A friend is someone who is always there for you. I reflect on the wedding vows that Lois and I, uh, 78 years ago now, how many years has it been, babe? 33 at the end, of, are you sure? Okay. Sometimes I know better than she does and other times opposite, so I'm taking her word for it today. 33 years ago that we stood in front of family and just a few friends, and began to make wedding vows, vows in a wedding. But when I reflect on these vows, I see them as more than vows of, of a husband and a wife or spouses or, or lovers. I, I see this as a vow of friends because the vows declared this, I'm going to be with you no matter what, in richer or in poorer, in sickness and in health, that no matter what comes or what goes, I'm not leaving. You're not running off. We're, we're going to be together. So it's more than a vow of husband and 
wife. It's a vow of friendship as well. Good times, bad times. I will be with you. This is what friends do. I worked with a pastor in ministry just north of Houston, Texas for a couple of years or just shy of that. And, and uh, he preached a message that has never left me. And he talked about friendship. And he described friendship like this. He said, a friend is like a bus about to embark on a long journey. And every seat in that bus is filled. Two people to every seat. There are coats and there are suitcases under the seats and packed in the aisles. The bus is full. And as the driver gets ready to release the air brakes and shut the door, there's one that always shows up late. Don't look at anybody when we say that one. Always shows up late breathlessly running into the parking lot, and they're stopping the bus and saying, I'm here, now we can go. And so the bus driver opens the door, and there they stand looking down the aisle. In this arm, they've got a little bit of snacks and a heavy overcoat, and in this arm is their kitty cat and perhaps, you know, a suitcase. You don't like kitty cats? I love kitty cats. They taste awesome. Okay, forgive me. I know I've told that one before, but you all right with that, Annabeth? Okay. (laughs) She'll forgive me. And so (laughs) there's no place to sit. Bus is completely full, packed with suitcase. But, but a friend, a friend from way back in the back says, Hey, come friend, sit with me, friend. And, and there's no room, but on this long journey, you're squished in like sardines, and every bump and every turn causes you to push and to fall off the seat and uncomfortable. And that kitty cat is licking your chin with its sandpaper tongue, shedding on your Clothes. I love kitty cats, right? And so it's the journey. And every friend comes with baggage and luggage. But you don't choose your relatives, but you choose your friends. And every friend that you choose has that luggage and that baggage. In fact, oftentimes, this is where we get their nicknames because of that particular thing that they do or what they particularly like or perhaps the difference that the two of you have together. And as you journey in this bus ride called life, your friend has luggage that you deal with baggage that you deal with but you don't mind too much because that's your friend that's what friendship is several years ago the president of columbia seminary and bible college and at the time this was the school that was sending out more missionaries to foreign fields than any other seminary in the united states And the president has now stood before his board of directors and those that were ministering with him. And he is reading the letter to them with tears in his eyes as he's declaring that I am going to resign. 
He begins to tell them how much he appreciates them, loves them, knows that the ministry will go on. And he begins to let them know the reason why is because my wife has Alzheimer, as all of you know, he tells them. And I need to spend as much time as I can with her. After he read his letter of resignation and pushed it across the table for them to receive, they refused to receive his resignation letter. Some were gasping, all were crying, some were weeping almost uncontrollably. And they came together with one voice and said, No, we will not let you resign because you have too much ministry left. You can't just walk away from it. And then they said, we don't even want to say this to you. But the truth of the matter is, this disease that we all hate is going to quickly steal the memories of your wife. And it won't be long until she won't even know who you are anymore. And all the ministry and the time and the effort that you're trying to spend with her will be wasted. And even more emphatically, he stood before them and said, these are two reasons why I must resign. Because ministry is not just about one individual. But when I resign, the team ministry that is already here will continue to go forward and missionaries will still be sent to foreign fields. And then he said, secondly, what you said about my wife is true. Because today I went by the assisted place where she has had to be put to live. And I walked in the room where she was. And I said, honey, I'm here. And she turned to look at me. And as I looked in their eyes, there was no recognition from my beloved. He said, I sat down beside her broken hearted. And I put my arm around her and gently brushed her hair from her face. Put my lips on her cheek tenderly and kissed her. Baby, I miss you so much. It's so good to spend time with you. And she let me love on her, but I could have been a nurse or anyone that had walked into the room. There was no recognition of who I was. Just a little confusion in her face. He said, it's true that already she doesn't know who I am. But then he declared, that's not the end of the story. Because she might never know again who I am, but I still know who she is. And she has been my wife for these many years, the mother of my two children. She has been my constant companion, my ministry inspiration, but more than that, she has been my friend. And if she never recognizes me again, I'm going to spend every moment I can with her because I know who she is. That's friendship. That's friendship. There are times that I'm not even sure that I know where God is. And my prayers come out of my mouth and fall straight to the floor. And like brass, my worship just hits a ceiling and falls back to the ground. But this I know, as Job also declared, that I might not know where he is, but he still knows the way that I take. And I have confidence when I come through the journey that he knows my ways, he knows me, and he's one that will never leave me. Never forsake me. 
Joseph Scriven, this is a true story. Joseph Scriven was born to wealthy parents in Dublin, Ireland. He, born into a socialite family with old money, and his parents lived for the weekends where others that were working and had money to waste could come together for a party life. And it was a party time from the moment the weekend started until the bad hangovers on Monday. They gave themselves to drunkenness and, and drugs at the time and immorality and perversions. And this was the lifestyle in which Joseph was raised. But at 25 years of age, it didn't take him long to learn how shallow that was. It's falsehood. It has to be propped up. It's just a lie that that's where pleasure is in life. And so he began to begin his search for the meaning of life. And as he was searching both intellectually and also in the spirit, he began to walk by a church one day, small church, white boards upon it. And as he was walking by, he heard beautiful choir sounds coming through the doors. And he just got close and leaned his ear against the doors. And what he heard was amazing to him because it was more than singing. He'd heard singing all his life. But there was a tenure about this as they were singing about this Jesus. There's a difference between singing and worship. And so he slipped in the back doors and not wanting to be a disturbance, sat on the back row. The preacher began to give his speech or his sermon as Joseph understood later. And he thought that this man knew everything about his life as he was just preaching the word of God that just made him vulnerable and bare and spoke exactly to where he was. And then the altar call was given. If you want to know Jesus, come on down to the front. He's a Savior that so loved you, He gave His life for you. And Joseph went down to the front, and there he began a relationship, a salvation journey, but mostly a relationship of knowing the Lord Jesus. His life was turned upside down. He was not the same man he was before this altar experience. In fact, when he went home, his parents knew something was different. It was only a matter of a few days until they realized this is not the same boy that we raised. This young man is a different individual. In fact, they were convicted by his lifestyle now. No more did he want to be a part of the riotous living, the drunkenness, the drugs, the party life, the immorality. But he had found a friend in Jesus. They began to make demands of him. You're embarrassing us, Joseph. You'll either quit going to that church or we'll deny that we even know who you are. But he found a friend in Jesus. He knew that this was life. It was purpose of why he was here. And so it was no hard choice for him. I found Jesus. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. They made an ultimatum to him as they said, we're going to cut you out of our will. We will tell all of our friends that we don't even have a son anymore. And still Joseph served the Lord. And so true to their word, they kicked him out of their house, wrote him out of their will, told their friends that 
Their son was dead. The man that was still alive was not their son. They didn't know who that was. He was heartbroken. But in some ways, it might have been a beautiful separation from the old man that had no value to the new man and the new life that he was living. He's 25, 26 now, and he recognizes one of the beautiful young ladies in the choir as his future wife and tells her so. And they have a quick engagement and fiancés for just a short time. And the night before his wedding day, she mysteriously is down by the river, we guess, walking. No one knows. And she falls into the river or is pushed in. No one knows. And they find her on her supposed or should be wedding day, drowned dead. And Joseph is heartbroken. Knowing that he's found a friend in Jesus, he just wants to start all over. So he boards a ship and begins to travel to new destinations. He finds himself leaving Ireland and on the coast of Canada, He begins to travel inland a little bit and settles into a small little town, I think in Quebec. And there he begins to eke out what this world would say a living. But he was living life abundant. People thought that he was a little strange because Joseph would literally cross the road, take the coat off his back, and put it on the shoulders of a shivering stranger. And without one word, just walk away. Because he wanted to show compassion and do what Jesus declared to do. If you have a coat, share it. He was often found in the field harvesting, but not for salary or payments, but for the farmer who was down in his back and could not do it himself. You could find him chopping wood for the widow who had no ways to store heat for the winter. And there he would, without any kind of introduction or words or agreement, just chop the wood, stack it, and walk away. They said he was kind of strange and alone to himself. After some time, he received a telegram, and the telegram was from his mama. Not sure how she tracked it down. But the telegram simply said this, Joseph, I'm dying. I'm sorry. I need to talk to you. And Joseph has no way of getting back on a ship, no finances to travel back to Ireland. So he sits down and writes her what might have been purposed to be a letter or perhaps a very lengthy telegram as he begins to write these words. And this is what he wrote. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to the Lord in prayer. Have your trials and temptations, he writes on. Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can you find a friend so faithful who will all your sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. It's unclear 
if Joseph ever sent this message, most believe he didn't. Because he was dealing with pneumonia shortly after that time. And after he came up missing, they find him in his humble apartment, succumbed to this lung disease or lung virus. And there beside his bed was this particular stanza that he had written to his mother. Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. You'll find a solace there. When he had to say just a few words to his mama, he didn't waste time and energy saying, Mama, I forgive you. This is what I've been doing. This is where I've traveled. This is what's happening. I'm here. Send money. He, he didn't say any of them things. But he said, Mama, if you've got just a couple of breaths left, let me tell you about a friend I have found in Jesus. Because only a few moments of life left with Jesus is the best thing that can happen in your life. Years later, Charles Converse got a hold of this refrain and wrote music and the powerful hymn that we have sung for years. What a friend we have in Jesus has been powerfully opened us up to worship because of Joseph Scriven's life and ministry and some of his last written words. I think what it's important for us to understand is that yes, the relationship Jesus had with his disciples was a rabbi, student, a teacher, one that was learning. It, it was that relationship. It, it was absolutely a relationship of Savior to those that needed save. It was plentiful in relationship. But what we see over and over in the Gospels is that Jesus declared his relationship to them and to us as a friend. That blows me away. Because in my relationship with the Lord, He makes me look good in so many ways. But I bring baggage into this relationship. But yet He chooses to be my friend. I don't make Him look good. But He chooses to be my friend. In fact, oftentimes he emphasized this particular dimension of his relationship as he declared to his disciples, I'm a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You know, the saying today is water's thick, but blood is thick, or somehow letting us know that family isn't going to be there for you. But Jesus declared this, even when family walks away, I'm one that sticketh closer than you to the brother. That even if your brother will not be there, your sister will not be there, your mother, your father, I will be there. I'm that kind of friend. He declared he would never leave. He would never forsake. He would always be there. That's what friends are. And over and over he declared that. That he is our friend. That he will never leave us. That he will always be there. And they must have believed that with strong faith. 
It's why it was so confusing to them when at that last supper he began to tell them, time of my capture and death is at hand. I thought you'd never leave us. I thought you were a friend that would always be there. And out into Gethsemane's garden, he begins to separate himself, even from his three closest friends, a stone's throw away. And there he's praying the prayer of not my will, but thine be done. And into the garden, led by Judas, who puts a betrayal kiss upon the Lord, and Jesus calls him, He had just rebuked Simon Peter and told him he's of the devil when he said, I'm going to fight for you. And just told Judas that you're a friend when you kissed me and betrayed me to the temple guards. Because friends are those that help you do the will of God. If you've got friends that are always just trying to butter you up and stuff, trouble comes, they're going to do the wrong things and leave you stranded. But a true friend is a brother or sister in the Lord. And so, here are the guards taking him. Only Simon Peter from the outer courts, warming his hands by the fire. And John, who is actually inside because of connections and relationship he has inside the court. Only these two friends follow him in this terrible time when Jesus is being rejected. Men of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And the crowd is crying against him. Crucify him. He's worthy of death. And there they begin the passion of Christ as he is beaten, beard plucked, crown of thorns on his head, spittle from vile things that Roman soldiers cough up and beaten him, stripped naked of clothing, forced to carry his cross. And this is his passion. And there at Calvary where he is struggling for every breath, speaking very powerful statements, talking about those that are his friends. He finally declares it is finished gives up the ghost and dies. They bring his body down from the cross and put it in a borrowed tomb. You know, that's a pretty good idea if you're just going to use something for a couple of days. You should borrow it and not buy it. Borrow tomb. And then on that Sunday morning, that resurrection day, stone is rolled away and victorious. They thought they had lost him when the soldiers took him away. They thought his promises of friendship were done when he breathed his last and died because all of them no doubt had had deaths in their life. All of them knew how seemingly final death was. And when he breathed his last and gave it the ghost, it's like their friend had left them forever. But he made them a promise. I'm a friend that will never leave you. Never forsake you. And so confusion is upon them. And you know the story. Mary and Mary come to the tomb and it's empty. Peter and John hearing the news come run into the tomb and see, into the tomb and see only folded clothes. And then Jesus appears to Mary in his resurrected form. And two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus talk with him and their hearts burn with him. And the disciples are gathering in a room to discuss the rumors. 
Jesus is alive. Talk to us, Mary. What did he say? What did he look like? Tell us what happened. Talk to his disciples on the road. What did he say? Tell us about your experience. And as they're talking about Jesus, doors are shut and windows are shut. And he appears in their midst. Aren't you glad that he knows how to do that? When there's no way in, he can come when there are no doors and no windows of opportunity right into your presence. All you have to do is start talking about how good he is and how much you love him and how much precious he is to you. And there he is. They know what his presence felt like. They have spent three and a half years with their friend. So when they sensed his presence, they turned to see him, and there he was. But his appearance being different, shocked and afraid, his first words are, don't be afraid, it's me. The same Jesus that was on the cross is the same Jesus that is resurrected. See these nail prints in my hands. See the hole in my side, Riven. See these scars upon my head. And when they reunited with him, they realized his promise was true, that he was a friend that sticketh closer than any brother, that even death itself could not keep his friendship from them. He's a friend that is larger and greater than even death, hell, and the grave. And for the next few days, 40 days, infallible proofs as he shows up to them while they're fishing, as he does miracles for them in their finances, as he begins to prove to them he will never leave them and forsake them. But now it's come to our text, and I'm closing. And Jesus is walking with his friends, and they have left Jerusalem as they're just walking and they're talking. And there seems to be that lingering because something final seems to be happening here. Have you ever been with your friend? Perhaps it was that special friend, and you were on the porch, and the light was on, and you were saying your goodbyes, and, and they had to go in, and you had to go, and, and you said goodbyes, and I love you so much, and, and then you said one more thing, and it's, no, I love you more, I love you more, and then you're there for another hour. This is the kind of lingering that's happening as they're walking. The Scripture says they walked from Jerusalem and looked up, and my goodness, they'd walked four miles all the way to Bethany. Maybe it's like that grandmother. <laughs> when you leave the house and she's still standing there on the porch waving as the dust of your car is gone, you know. They're lingering. And finally, Jesus stops and says, it's, this is it, it's time. And he opens their understanding, as we read, and began to tell them, it was good for me. That's what the word behooved mean. It was good for Christ to suffer, to die, to be resurrected, so that repentance, remission of sins, could be preached in my name. Now go to Jerusalem and wait for what I promised you. And then he begins to ascend up into heaven. And now they're doing what grandma did. As he's disappearing in the clouds. Angels have to come to them and say, Hey, didn't he tell you you've got a promise? And one dimension of that promise is he'll never leave you, never forsake you. 
Well, he did. So go to Jerusalem and wait like he told you. So the disciples go to Jerusalem. and This is the store in the upper room of Acts chapter 2. And as they're talking about the promise that he made, he said he'd always be with us. He'd never leave us. He'd never forsake us. He sticks closer than a brother. They're talking about him. They're longing for him. And there he is. They know his presence. He's done this before. So they turn to greet him, but their physical eyes can't see him. They hear a sound of his presence, a rushing mighty wind that has filled the place. But they don't see him. And as they reach out for him, knowing that his presence is in the place, the Holy Ghost falls on them and then in them. And they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Now he's not with them. Now he is in them. This same presence that they knew as a friend that walked with them is now in them and will never leave them and never forsake them. Before, because of flesh, he had to go up the mountains to get strength and they had crossed the Sea of Galilee alone. But now when they go across the sea or up in the mountain, he's there. power of the Holy Ghost is powerful for us in this world but it has eternal value as well if you have the privilege to live a good old age and at 150 years old you've got your friends and your family around you and you're telling your goodbyes as you know that your time here is short, then you will greet your loved ones, hug and kiss perhaps, and then your last breath will cause your body to be still, and your spirit will leave your flesh, and you'll go on to your eternity and leave your earthly friends. But if you have this Holy Ghost, if you have this Spirit of God living in you, same scenario, you'll breathe your last breath on this earth. And as your soul begins to leave that body, you won't cross Jordan's rolling tide alone. Because the same Jesus that you've been worshiping, praising, loving on the same Jesus that you feel His presence in church service and as you go to sleep at night and wake up, when you come to that place and you move from this life to the next, He'll be right there with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And then, those have had life after life experiences. Some have said that as they left their bodies, they traveled down a long tunnel. And when they got to the end of that dark tunnel, they came into a light. And the beauty on that side of the tunnel was just unexpressible with words that we have. Colors and brightness and beauty. And if we experience that, I have no idea, but if we experience that, you won't have to experience it alone. But when you begin to exclaim in your spirit, you'll exclaim to the Lord, your friend, wow. You'll share that. 
And then in that time of paradise or peace while you slumber, whatever that sleep is, it's going to be as sweet as falling asleep in the Holy Ghost and waking up with His presence all around you because He will never leave you or forsake you. The Bible says in that last day that all men, great and small, will stand before the white throne judgment and with shaking knees and trembling voices, many will stand before the judge. But if we stand there, it won't be alone. The comforter, the advocate, will be there with us. And when we get to where he is, and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, Enter into the pleasures that I prepared for you. And you reach out and touch that gate that's made of a single pearl. And tread on streets, transparent, pure gold. Knowing that down the road is a mansion, whatever that means. And that Jesus himself is wiping every tear. You won't experience any of that It's not like going to a new school where you've never been or moving to a new city that you've not been in or getting to know a lot of new people because the same Jesus will be with you through all eternity. In fact, Matthew 28 and 20 declares this, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the world. This word end is the Greek word which means completion or finality. The word world means eternity or eons, time. Literally, it is saying this, I am with you always, even to the completion of all eternity. A friend that sticketh closer, that will never leave. Are you weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care. Precious Savior, steal our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In His arms He'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. This is the promise of the Holy Ghost is that He'll be with you in good times, bad times, sickness, health, richer, poor, grieving, joy, ashes, beauty. It doesn't matter what place in your life, everything that you deal with and go through, Jesus, your friend, is with you. Would you stand up, darling? I knew, but I asked my wife to make sure because earlier in service, I don't see them with my physical eyes, but I saw in the Spirit and felt in the Holy Ghost that there were angels around you. And literally with their wings, they were embracing you. And I asked Lois if you were related to one of the precious saints. Is it your grandmother? Is that correct? And I know that times of grieving because we'll miss grandma and we'll 
remember all the times. And we'll, we'll celebrate as a church the times we had. But when I tell you grandma's with Jesus, I'm telling you Jesus never left And angels have been dispatched for you, darling. Because in the time of your grief, He wants you to feel all the strength and the peace and the joy you can. If you have desired to see angels, would you lift your hands, darling, just begin to worship. If you have desired to see angels, perhaps this is a moment that the Holy Ghost will let you see. Would you look at your sister and have compassion? And pray the comfort, the strength of the Holy Ghost. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because of your compassion, I just felt a multitude just came into this room. There are angels all over this place. Stand with me. Would you stand with me? I believe there might be just a handful, perhaps, in the house today that have not yet received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues. Jesus made this statement in our text. He said, Behoove Christ, or it was good for Christ to suffer, to die, to rise again. So that repentance, remission of sins, baptism in His name could be preached and the infill of the Holy Ghost could happen. Now, I know why that's good for me. Because this old rotten, dirty man can have forgiveness because of his death. And because he died, I can repent and be forgiven. I know why his burial was good for me because he was buried in that borrowed tomb. I can be buried in the water calling on his name in baptism and all of my sins are remitted or washed away. And now that I've been forgiven of the sinful man that I have been and washed in his blood, I'm now a vessel that can receive a holy God. Holy God cannot come in an unclean vessel. And what I could not do for myself, Calvary did for me. So thank God that we can repent and be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the infill of the Holy Ghost, which is His Spirit, Him in us. But Jesus didn't say, hey, it's good for you that I died, suffered. He said it was good for Him. That's a picture of how much He loves you And wants to be your friend. That he counted the cross, the crucifixion, becoming sin, dying, and being buried a good thing. So that he can always be with you. So the Holy Ghost can come in your life and never leave. He wants to spend time with you and never leave you or forsake you. What a friend we have. In Jesus. If it has been a while since you have spoken tongues, 
And you just need to renew that outpour of the Holy Ghost for whatever reason. Whether you consider yourself having got away from God a little bit and you need to pray back through, or perhaps it's just been a while since you spoke in tongues. I'm inviting you first. If it's been a while since you prayed in the Holy Ghost and you want the friend Jesus to be fresh in your life, just come right now and stand in this front. Anybody want the newness of praying in tongues, the Holy Ghost? There you go. Along with them that are coming, if you have never had the Holy Ghost, I tell you that more than I want you to get it, more than Pastor wants you to get it, Jesus wants you to have His Spirit living in you today. Would you come if you want the Holy Ghost? And maybe it's the first time. Need some intercessors to just pray right now. We're reaching for you. We're reaching for you. We're reaching for you. All right. I want you to, let me have your attention. I want you to turn to the person beside you, or if God lays somebody on your heart, go all the way across the room if you need to. I need everyone in the place that has the Holy Ghost to give a quick testimony to somebody in the place. If you've got a compassion for somebody, you've got a heart for somebody, go across the room if you need to. Otherwise, just turn to somebody behind you or beside you and tell them what the Holy Ghost has meant to you. You've got 30 seconds. What a friend. I love that. Tell somebody how good the Holy Ghost has been to you. Oh, <laughs> oh, you want the Holy Ghost. I know you do. Yes, Jesus. Some of you are so long-winded. Come on, wrap it up. Tell, tell them how good the Holy Ghost has been. Now you have practiced your testimony. Find one more person to tell them about how good your friend Jesus has been to you through the power of the Holy Ghost. There you go. Cross the aisle. Love that, Jesse. all right now I want you to invite that person you've been testifying to and tell them that we're all friends of the Lord why don't we all go down to the front this altar is open for everybody in the place I'm inviting everybody guest, visitor, home folk those that haven't been here in 50 years and showed up today just everyone come down to the front and let the friend Jesus be powerful in your life today that's an invite somebody as you're coming. Invite them as you're coming. Ha 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 ha. Hey. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Whew. Beautiful. One last time, let me have your attention. Thank you for those that are coming. You're still invited. If you want to wait a few minutes till everybody else, you can come now. You can come in the next five minutes. You're invited to come down to the front. In this area, only in the front, I'm going to ask our friend to send an angel to each and every one of you. So you can feel the heavenly presence and know that your friend is beckoning you. I'm going to pray that for those that are in the altar area. 
And as we pray that, I want you, no one by themselves, everybody finding someone, someone to stand beside, someone to put a hand on, someone to hold a hand, whatever's appropriate. Find someone to get close to. And we're going to let our friend Jesus fall on us again. Fill us up again. Would you reach out to him, angels? Father, send angels to everyone in this altar area. Let the comfort of the Holy Ghost, the strength of the Spirit, let the power of angels' wings be upon us. Now let the infilling of the Holy Ghost happen in your life. Pray in the Spirit, pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, intercessors, lift your voice. Operate in ministry. Ministry, we need you.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, I know that God's filled at least one with the Holy Ghost, maybe another refilled or filled with the Holy Ghost. God's doing great things. And if you got to renew and a blessing or got it for the first time, won't you just lift your hands up and just wave them to the Lord? Isn't that great? God filling people with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I want to I want to tell you how share something that Brother Shannon shared with me, and uh, that uh, will just show you how important it is for you to invite your friends, your loved ones, your family to church with you. Invite them. Tell them about this friend. That was when, uh, I believe it's when Jennifer was filled with the Holy Ghost that said that she turned and looked at her brother and said, thank you for bringing me here. You'd be surprised. People, they want this. Now, she probably didn't come here today having any idea this is about to happen. People don't realize what they'll find once they get here, what the Lord can speak into their life once they get here. Uh, we just watched this young, this precious young lady, Megan. Was that the first time you received the Holy Ghost? Look at that. First time. So two filled the Holy Ghost today, speaking in other tongues. Now, I'm thankful that people have been filled. They, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, well, then why not today? I know that people love to, to, well, let me get some things together, but I always go back to that eunuch on that chariot. When he heard about baptism and being filled with the Holy Ghost, when they came to water, he said, man, here's the water. What's, what's stopping me from being baptized? Because it's that vital, it's that important. And, and so he said, nothing if you believe. And so he said, well, I believe. And they went to the water. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name and you would like to do that today, I turned the, the heater on by faith today so the water would be warm because I believe somebody may just be ready to do that. But uh, we can do that. We've got robes. You say, well, I don't have anything to put on. We've got robes. We've got towels. We'll make sure you're fine. If you want to get baptized, you see me right after service. We'll do that today. We'll baptize you in Jesus' name. And all your sins of your past washed away. You'll walk out of here born again, born of water, born of the Spirit. It'll happen today. Praise God. Brother Green, thank you for your ministry this weekend, my friend, for the ministry of your family, for Sister Green, a tremendous word this morning, and, and thank for, to all of our people who have made it a great weekend for our, our music and choir. Thank you for our media and sound. Thank you for all those that labored. Sister Shelby, I don't know if she's got going. Praise God. Thank you for coming and ministering to our children uh, these two nights. For all those that helped her out in the services, thank you. And if you did anything, I thank you. I may not know what everybody did, but if you did something, believe me, this pastor is grateful, and I, it all makes it work. Thank you for being with us, and thankful for a great, wonderful 14-year anniversary weekend. And so we're just grateful for all of it. Uh, don't forget as you leave today that Sister Lois has some items for sale in the foyer. If you'd like to pick some of that up, you can stop by and check that out. No prayer meeting tomorrow night, but we will have uh, our homegoing service for Sister Beverly Martin tomorrow at 2 o'clock right here. If you're not working, if you can get off and come, I know it would be a great support to the family. Let's continue to pray for them. 
That's it. God bless you. Thank you for a great day. If you need to be baptized today, come see me. We'll take care of that. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.